You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is Archery Unfiltered, the show that cuts out all the nonsense and gets right to the core of what it takes to make you a better archer. Hey guys, how is everyone? It's uh, it's been a crazy week. If you've been watching the news, um, I mean. Uh, when is the news ever good? Especially as of late. But um, this week's been, a, you know, particularly crappy. Um, but I know you guys don't listen to this show for um, current events. You listen to this show for archery. So let's dip into some archery, huh? Let's see if we can uh, get some get some good going. Um uh, many of you guys have seen on uh, Facebook, a uh, good close friend of mine, Tom Parkinson, had like a medical emergency. He is uh, currently out, and uh, if you guys get a chance, you know, keep you know keep his re- he's recovering right now. He's doing I think he's doing pretty good from the sounds of it. But I know he's uh, uh, he had a little scare there for a minute, so. You know, if you guys pray, uh, if you have collective good thoughts or, um, you know, even if you do like that southern swamp voodoo, uh, send some positive energy Tom's way because he's recovering right now. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think send good, good positive thoughts towards someone is, um, I mean, it's the least you can do, you know? So, uh, Tom, if you listen to this, we're all hoping you uh, recover and uh, you're feeling okay, buddy. Um, yeah, it's a bummer. A bummer that you have to go through stuff like that in life. Um, another thing that happened recently that I totally, you know, with the way everything is going so quick, um, like in the news and just with life and stuff, uh, another solid guy in the archery industry, uh, Charlie roof. He's the guy that runs impact over in, uh, is it Reno or I think it's Reno or Vegas. Charlie's super cool. Every time you guys go to the Vegas shoot and you see all those dudes working at the practice range, wearing the impact Jersey, that's, organized by Charlie. A lot of the things that we have at the Vegas shoot is because Charlie pulls people together to come and volunteer. Um, Charlie's a super cool guy. Super nice dude. Um, he recently had a family tragedy happen. So, uh, again, if you guys can send, you know, your positive vibes and your collective, uh, you know, collective good thoughts his way. 
um, you know, he's, he's pretty open about what, what happened in his life. So if you guys see on his Facebook, uh, Charlie, I don't know if you listen to this show. You probably don't cause you're probably busy with all kinds of stuff, but you know, we feel for you, buddy. Um, and so, you know, hopefully things, um, start to look up for you. <clears throat> all right, guys, enough, enough sad stuff. I know, uh, you guys listen to this for some for some chuckles. <clears throat> see see if I can get my funnies going tonight. You know? I mean rough stuff's happening in the news. Rough stuff's happening in current events. It's part of life, but we're we're all doing okay. Um let's see. Okay. Positive stuff. Positive stuff. Uh most recently, if you live in the Bay Area, all right, California shooters. Or the uh, Northern California shooters. This last weekend was the Diablo. Um, what's it called? I think I believe it's called the Diablo, like cartoon classic, or the Diablo Red Devil shoot. You know, the names kind of change every once in a while. Um, my buddy, a good, a big supporter of this show, uh, Joel Avenato, won. Um, in the adult, or I'm sorry, the amateur freestyle class, and uh, Joel's been like a long time, a friend of mine, supporter of the show, but he's also been a guy that's like always practicing, always, and he said something like really brilliant to me recently, which was, uh, he's like, you know, I might not always win. It wasn't even something like that. You might not always win, but if you're ha- if you're still having fun doing it, you're winning. He's like the second you stop having fun doing it, what the hell are you doing out there? Or something along those lines. It was really at the time it was like a really brilliant thing, and it kind of framed how I looked at Joel for a long time. Like he's he's truly out there shooting archery because it makes him happy, and he's doing it long enough now at a high enough level where he's he's like consistently winning some of the, or only say consistently winning but Joel wins every so often at these local events he's a good shooter and he will throw down and uh and it's showing now it's i mean it's been showing he uh he won i can't remember the name of the event but a few months ago he won another event was it Cougar Mountain? Well, I can't remember but um it's he's a guy whose attitude is something I admire, you know, and uh, I don't think you always you don't always have to fanboy over. Well, I feel like I don't always have to fanboy out over pro shooters. There's qualities in amateur. There's qualities in almost all of my friends or, or people that I know. Probably most of you guys listening to this and gals. Um, there's qualities that a lot of amateur shooters possess that I really admire. And there are things that I try to look up, like try strive to integrate into my own, you know, my own being. And uh, Joel's attitude is definitely one of them. And, uh, you know, the byproduct of having fun and shooting all the time is eventually shooting high enough scores to where you're on the podium. So, uh, good job, Joel. And I'm sure Joel's going to message me and say, dude, you misquoted me so badly. And I know. I'm sorry, buddy. But... <laughs> You did good. Um, 
My buddy Austin Watts took pro freestyle class. Man, this dude. When I say he's the prodigy, I truly mean he's the prodigy. This guy can not shoot his bow for two or three weeks, pick it up, and then go, boom. Like, go to an event, throw it on the table, and um, just take home another win. It's amazing. Uh, I got to get him on here again. We're going to pick his brain about, you know, what it is exactly that is, (laughs) you know. I feel like, personally... I have to practice nearly every day, just so I don't suck badly. (laughs) But I see some of these other phenoms go out there that are just like, you know, pull their bow out of the case, you know, brush the dust off from Redding, and then just go bomb some amazing scores. Austin will go ahead and tell you that he shoots a heavy left tear through paper, too, which is another one of those things where I'm like, what? So, I, you know... I think pretty soon I'm going to have to go up to West Coast Archery in Petaluma and um, either shoot Austin's bow and figure out what that shoots like or have him tune my bow for me. But yeah, another another stellar job shooting from Austin. Uh, I think Austin shot like a 918, which was, I think that was like by far the highest score there, of the you know, at that day. So... Um, so here's what I got for you guys today. All right. We're going to shift into some other stuff. I've got listener questions. Uh, in that last podcast, I had kind of mentioned like, okay, I'm kind of scraping the barrel now for, for guests. There's not many people I want to interview. Um, and you know, there's not hardly any listener questions. And I had this huge out, like, all of these listeners stepped forward and were like, dude, you want questions? I got questions for you. <laughs> people people laid it on me. And then I even had uh, a gentleman ask if he could come on the show. And so I'm going to, we're going to be cutting, and it's going to be a two podcast week where on uh, Saturday I have a guest named Mike Pastilli. And Mike is very similar to myself where. As an amateur, he has won a lot of national events. And, uh, you know, he's... I don't think he's a pro. I, I haven't checked to see if he's got a, his pro card. He definitely should, you know. Um, unless he's, you know, trying to do the sandbag thing. But, you know, I kind of feel like at this point, if you win it all in amateur, you might as well just throw your hat into the ring for pro and... Let the chips fall where they may, you know? <laughs> I mean, if you look at Blake Jerome did it. Blake won everything in amateur, went pro, and now he hangs with the big dogs. He's like, you know, at any given event, he's going to be top 15, you know, in the pro class. So it's a perfect example right there of why, why you should do it. Um, I don't know if Mike has or not. I'll ask him when we get on the show. But I think he's a more recent amateur uh freestyle national champion than i am and i feel like he probably comes at archery a different way than i do so it's always good to get another perspective of a a shooter that can you know geek out over arrow builds or tuning you know what do they call that 
what religious tuning stuff, you know? Um, when my buddy Tom gets better, I, I intend to get him back on so we can talk about bow tuning. Tom knows so much about bows. It's insane. Um, like even the, the setup I have now is a lot of stuff that Tom, Tom told me to do and it's working really well. Um, my, uh, my 38 shooting really good. Uh, I'm practicing for field. Maybe I'll get into that. I'll start with that. Okay. I'll tell you guys how my practice is going, things that I'm working on and, uh, Things that I've kind of worked on this week and figured out. Um, so I'm still shooting half field rounds, right? To, to practice for both Nevada City, and uh, which is going to be a safari-style shoot, but then the week after that is going to be a field round. Or it's going to be the state field championship, right? So I'm shooting half field rounds in the morning before I go to work. Um, I mean, recently the field was closed down because... I guess California had like a fire. Certain par- certain parks had like a fire warning because it just got so hot here. Oh, pardon my god! <sighs> so unprofessional. All right, so um, I shoot half field rounds in the morning and shooting for score. Right, couple arrow warm up and then right into scoring. And. Some one of the things that I've noticed is you know I like to fine tune my the weights on my bars. Like the more I shoot, the more I figure out. Okay, the bow's telling me, you know, the more arrows I put through the bow, I feel like the shot is telling me something, right? But you got to shoot a lot of arrows. That I I was just talking to a friend of mine this morning, and we we're talking about how some people. You shoot, they shoot their bow, and the bow is talking like a conversation. You're like your bow talks to you when you shoot it, right? This is going to sound really weird, but some people, you know, you shoot it a thousand times, and then you listen. You, you get you get a deep understanding of what the bow is telling you. Some people shoot it, and then they're just like, oh, something's got to change, you know. They'll listen to the first two words that the bow says, and they don't listen to anything else. And then they, you know, well, well, bow said up, so I'm changing up or whatever. You know, it's a weird, weird analogy. And then some people shoot, and they just don't listen to their bow at all. They're just like, I'm just shooting. You know, and if they shoot good one day, they're like, well, that's how it's supposed to be. And if they shoot bad, they're like, "Mm, well, fuck, you know. Um... I think of myself as like the first, uh, where someone who shoots a lot of arrows, and I'm like, "Well, what's the bow telling me? What, what's it saying? You know, what does it want?" And uh, I think after you get like center shot, your axis and everything dialed in, um, and your arrows are matching and everything's good, like the only thing you can really do at that point is fiddle with stabilizer weights. And like, it's not entirely true. You can actually fiddle with a lot of shit, right? But for me. I call it quits after, you know, shoot a couple bullet holes through paper, get the center shot good, and then I'm, that's it. I might be fucking with weights for a little bit, and that's it. I feel like there's this hierarchy. After you get your tune, you start shooting, the bow's comfortable, right? You shoot a couple of, 
field rounds and then you're like, oh man, I'm noticing a trend where, you know, every so often I kind of, you know, I kind of push a shot out the top, right? Well, then the bar, you know, I'll assess, well, what do the bars need to make that so that doesn't happen? And uh, maybe I'll fix it. Maybe maybe I'll add an ounce. But then the next thing that occurs is, all right, well, now that doesn't happen. But I can shoot a couple of field rounds and uh, now every so often, you know, I get a little left-right pinwall. Well, it's out of control. Well, is it the bow and the setup or is it me? Am I rushing a shot? That's the other thing. When you do this kind of crap, you have to be really honest with yourself. You can't just automatically be on this kick of like, okay, what do I change now? What do I change now? What do I change now? It's got to be like, okay, well, was that me? Was that the bow? Or was that something that happens, you know, that pops up every so often that I can change? You know what I mean? Um, It's like a weird tightrope that you're walking, I guess. So, yeah, it's... You know, you adjust your weights until you get them juicy, right? Until you get it right where you want it. But there's something now that I'm finding comes after that, which is your back bar angle. And that's back bar in and out, back bar up and down. Sometimes this comes before getting the, the ratio correct, right? But what I found out is at least in my own case, is, you know, I'm playing with that back bar. I'll get the angle right. Then I get the rates, the weights right afterwards. And then that, that angle in and out can be adjusted just a little more. Up and down, maybe just a little more. And I'm talking like real fine adjustments. And real fine adjustments on your back bar and your weights or your stabilizers can make a huge difference in your groups downrange. And I meant, like, we all saw the, you know, page group tuning video where she's moving her, you know, her blade up and down and it changes her groups dramatically. I haven't made a video, but I can show you something similar, and you just got to take my word for it, that will happen with your back bar. Adjusting your back bar can have a very similar effect. Inside, you know, moving the in and out, up and down. Um, and that's after you get that ratio or not ugh, ratio after you get that back bar the weight stack set up right you know um is and it's real fine like i'm you know i'm not only moving it like a degree here or there but it can really tighten up your groups in a, in a bizarre way and <clears throat> i know some people will be like oh man you're really splitting hairs here and you know a lot of you guys have already figured out why well, I, I know where i want my bar set and if you already know where you want your bar set don't fuck with them. You know, if they're already set and you're already kicking ass with it, don't fuck with it. But if you're, you know, if you're a guy that's a little further down on the totem pole and you, you're still trying to piece things together, messing around with that back bar angle is huge. And, I mean, it can change your groups dramatically. It can go from all over the spot to all X's if you get that back bar in just the right spot. And I'm not the only person that knows this. Um, I'll tell you guys a funny story. A long time ago, uh, two pros came to Redwood Bowman to, to practice before Redding, right? Um, it was, you know, these two pros, and they met me, and they met my buddy, uh, my old coach Emerson, right? 
and they're like, hey, you know, we want to shoot with you guys for practice. So we, you know, I ended up blowing off work for a couple of days. I think Emerson took off work, and we practiced. The two guys were Domagoy, uh, Budin, and Mike Schlosser. <clears throat> so we were practicing with those guys for like three days, right? Maybe two days, maybe three days. Um, but in the very beginning, uh, Mike Schlosser sets his bow up, sets it on the ground, and then he goes to like take a shit or something. I forget what he goes to do, but he leaves. And I walk over. I'm like, oh shit! It's the Mike Schlo- It's the Mike Schlosser's bow is like Thor's hammer, right? It's mythical. It's got a bunch of victory on it. It's heavy as fuck, right? And I just wanted to just see how what that bow felt like when it, when you pick it up, right? Because you know that thing's gonna the way he weights that thing is bananas for most of us. And I just wanted to feel like what what does he like in the, in a bow? And the second my hand like touches the grip on his bow, Del McGoy said, "Don't touch his bow." And I was like, I like looked up, and he goes, "I would kick the what he said, kick. I would fuck you up if you touched my bow, or something like that, <laughs> right?" <laughs> so I kind of froze, <laughs> and you know, I didn't at the moment. I was thinking of, I was like, "Ah, oh, come on, Del McGoy. You know, no European has ever beaten an American in." A, unarmed conflict right but uh you know there were guests i wanted to be nice so i was just like oh shit all right you know i don't want to be the rude american guy so i was like oh you know, no problem and then when schlosser came back i was like hey dude can, can i pick this bow up and he's like yeah yeah go ahead pick it up and so i picked it up and i was like oh shit um but what don't go was saying don't fucking touch that bow right is because if one little thing, I I would imagine like he was so protective of it, because if that back bar gets bumped just a little bit, or you know, God forbid, something else on that bow gets bumped, but if it gets bumped out of whack, and someone's not there, and the you know the owner isn't there to see it, if Schlosser wasn't there to see what would happen, he he might be chasing his tail for days trying to get it back to where he wanted it you know what i mean so i do believe you know that the, it's that important getting your your back bar finally adjusted and you know it goes against some things you know so like i've had killer shooters on this show say ah eh, you get it close shoot a thousand or so arrows and your body will figure it out and i, I do believe that is true as well but I don't have a thousand arrows. I got like a week and a half, so I gotta I gotta meet him in the middle. A week and a half before these events start kicking off. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that whole back bar thing is is crucial. I think it's important. Um, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I just had a day where a little tweak on the back bar made all the difference, and now I'm blowing it up beyond. But it sure seems pretty crucial i think most people would agree that where you set that up can really change stuff so you know if you're dipping at the top or the bottom i think the the back bar can change a lot of stuff and you know if if your left or right groups are terrible i a lot of it can be like micro movements in your bubble and stuff so you gotta get that that in and out part of your uh the in and out part of your back bar set so that 
you're comfortable. It's it's holding with you. You know, you're not fighting it. Um, another thing, another interesting thing. So I, you guys probably remember I was talking about the Gaius Carter Bow Junkie interview where he talked about moving your D loop up and down for hold, right? Um, well, just recently I had heard that mentioned again, and it was pretty straightforward. Where I think it was Bridger Deaton has a podcast. It's the Archery Archery Learning Center or something like that. But he was saying, if you're dipping out the bottom, right? If you're having trouble dipping out the bottom, raise your knock point. He said, raise your knock point and your D loop and see if that doesn't change it. And, you know, I, I think I've talked about this on an episode where I've talked about knock point, but where you put your knock point very much changes how your bow holds and the characteristics of your bow. Um, you know, I, I like running the bow, you know, close to, close to the middle of the burger hole. I think it's ultimately doing the same thing, right? In the end as changing the weights on your bars. Um, I think, I think Bridger Deaton said it, you're basically, he said effectively you're changing the height of your grip of where your grip is located when you change your D loop. And that is changing the you know, fulcrum point of where you're holding your bow up and that that's how you can change your hold. Um, but I think ultimately it's only the grip pressure, right? Uh, I think grip pressure is key and it's the key to you holding good. And it's the key to you executing consistently. I've always thought grip pressure was a big deal, but, um, I think grip pressure is largely, I mean, I don't think any of you guys would disagree with me that changing your bar weights, your your front and rear stabilizer weights, changes your grip pressure an insane degree, right? Whether or not you have a bow front, you know, more weight in the front or more weight in the back, or if you abide by the 1 in 4 ratio or the 1 in 3 ratio, that all changes your grip pressure. And, uh, you know, if you were feeling crazy enough and you wanted to just cut your D-loop off and... <clears throat> raise your knock point, tie a new D-loop on, it would change your hold dramatically. And so, uh, I, know, I thought that was interesting when I heard that because, you know, G- uh, Gaius Carter was saying that he runs his his uh, D-loop really low on his PSC Supra um, just because it holds, it holds right where he, you know, how he likes it. So, yeah, I, you know, do I think... Stabilizer the mo- is the most important thing. I think at this point, yeah. I'm starting to think stabilizers are the most important part of your bow because it's the inner it's like the interface between you and the pin float. Like if you want to change your pin float and how you execute, you're gonna do it through the bars. I mean you could also do it through I mean that's just my my own religious part of it. Because you could also do that through timing and like advanced top cam a little bit. Um, you could do it through tiller tuning, you know, like, uh, tightening up your, uh, your top limbs or your top limb pocket. But I don't know. It just seems the easiest thing to do is to just throw an ounce on a bar, you know? So that's been the big one for me this week is still fiddling with bar weights, back bar angles. I'm really digging it. 
um, it, it changes a lot of stuff and it, it kind of just shows you what you're doing. Like the more you do it, the more you shoot, the more, you know, you get an idea of what the bow wants. And then when you change it, you add an ounce here or there, um, you know, it, it, it oh man, I'm just so stuttering tonight. <laughs> It's good. Basically what I'm going to say it's good, all right? Um all right. Let's let's move on to some questions here. So I'm not uh not bugging the hell out of you guys with this podcast. Um good friend of mine called me the other day, my friend Brian. And he said that, you know, he was following the um Blake Jerome style of shooting a hinge. It's funny, a lot of dudes myself included have gone back to shooting a hinge for a little bit and it's like we go to a button to kind of get what we want that we're having trouble getting out of the hinge and we go to the thumb button all right because the thumb button's real easy to get a shot off properly you just wrap your thumb around your you know thumb around the barrel and you just squeeze and pull and push and bam shot will break um but sometimes that becomes too gentle right <laughs> And sometimes you want to like really lean into a shot. And then, so at least that's my own personal feeling. So I ended up going back to the hinge so I could really like push, pull, lean into shots. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Um, so my buddy Brian was saying, you know, the way Blake uh, teaches how to shoot a hinge, if I can remember, pro- you know, I don't want to misquote, but if I can remember properly from the YouTube video, um, that Blake cut. If you guys are curious, you should check it out. Blake Jerome, he's shooting a Scott Ascent. It's on YouTube. When when Blake comes to anchor, uh, his release clicks. And that click tells him that he is aligned, I believe. And uh, after that, you know, he starts his pull or... You know, index finger relax. I can't remember exactly what it was, but after that release clicks at anchor, that's when he gets into aiming and executing a shot. So that's one way of you know, that's one way of uh, doing it. A lot of good shooters I know do it that way. My buddy Alan Burnetta shoots like that, and um, it works for him really well. <clears throat> so my buddy Brian was saying, "Hey man, like I can I can I can aim all day long, and." I can pound in practice. I can just pound the middle all day in practice. But the second I get to a competition, it doesn't feel right. Nothing feels right. And uh, I can honestly tell him, you know, I told him, like, hey, man, I got first couple scoring arrows for me, or the first one scoring arrow for me is always hectic in any format of shooting. The second you're shooting for score, number one is always like, huh. <laughs> And I, I, you know, I just don't have the mental uh, fortitude to not get wigged out by the first one, first arrow. Um, I don't always miss it because sometimes I start on close targets. <laughs> but I, I told him like the the first couple always gave me the willies, but every one, you know, after the first one, you're like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Uh, I practice for this. This is something I do. You know, and then it all kind of comes back to, at least in my case, comes back to me and it's not, it's not hectic anymore. You know, pretty much the terror wears off after usually the middle of the second shot on the first scoring target. 
But as far as hanging up, so Brian was telling me he was hanging up. Like when he goes to, to you know, when he's, when he's shooting for score, he can come to Anchor and, you know, he can get to the click or he can relax into the click and then, you know, he he can't execute beyond that. He'll freeze. And <clears throat> that is a class, like in my mind, that is a classic thing of like tension in your release hand. Um, because you're trying to execute like such a finely smooth movement in practice. You can kind of, you can go, okay, here, click, bam, step two, pull through the shot, bam. But in competition, there's a third element added to that, which is like, don't miss, <laughs> right. Or keep it in the middle, depending on if you're, you know, positive, you know, glass half full or, um, glass half empty type mindset when you're shooting. But that third element of, all right, keep it in the middle can sometimes put a hitch in that step two, which is, you know, okay, we've come to the click. Now let's start to execute. So as you're executing, the thing that interrupts you is going to be like, uh, keep it in the middle. And then all of a sudden that hand gets a little more tense. Uh, keep it in the middle. And then, you know, that pin is slowly drifting. You know, it now becomes this thing where you're like, okay, well, I'll start the process again as the pin goes back to the middle. And then you're just doing a start, stop, start, stop. Your hand becomes more and more and more tense during that whole process, right? Eventually, you'll start seizing up. I'm guessing that's what you're going through, Brian. Um, you know, it's hard to say without without climbing inside your brain and hanging out in there while you're shooting. But I'm guessing that's what you're experiencing only because I've experienced that before you know um the way i handle that is is not going to be a way that many people will agree with um i don't think blake would agree with this but i think i think his method of shooting is solid but i think you have to find your way to it which means that you know if there's things you have to go through to get to blake's style of shooting or, you know, maybe Blake's style of shooting doesn't work for everybody. I don't know. But for me, for me, ugh, the way around that is shooting without a click. And a lot of people are going to be like, ugh, I don't like shooting a hinge without a click. I get it. I didn't at first either. Now I fucking love it. Uh, and Braden Galantine talks about this in some interview Back in the day, they said, do you shoot with a click or no click? And he goes, oh, God, no click. And they said, why? And he goes, I I just can't. It's too much for my brain to handle. And they said, too much for your brain to handle? He goes, I just want to thumb off the peg and pull through the shot. Now, if you watch Braden shoot, he's not necessarily just pulling through the shot, right? But that's beside the point. Uh, Braden does a lot of finger manipulation on that hinge release. Uh, Again, uh, aside, beside the point with no click the way I describe shooting is come to anchor thumb off the peg right well I get pinned on the target I get your pin to, to just gently meet the spot you know <laughs> and when you're comfortable holding in the spot thumb off the peg <coughs> and then start your execution your push and pull 
and you have to feel that release moving. If you can physically feel the release moving in your release hand, it will go. But if you don't feel it moving, you are too tense and shit is not going to happen. A couple times of that release not going, you will put it together. Okay, it's not going to go. I got to feel it rotate. I got to feel it rotate. And then that feeling it is just something that it becomes part of the shot. I think that's why a lot of you know good shooters will blank bail because they're getting used to that feel. You know, they're like, uh, they know that that feel is the indicator that things are going to go good, regardless of whether or not they shoot a click or no click, right? Enough blank bail, they know, because they're going for the feel. I In Vegas, I blank bailed with my thumb button release just so I could get the feel down. This is what I want it to feel like when I'm executing, right? <clears throat> right now, I'm shooting my, my hinge, and that feel of the release moving is a very gratifying feeling and I strive for that on every shot execution and I'm not getting hung up I'm not getting hung up on with my hinge granted I'm shooting outdoors we'll see if I can keep that rolling for you know if we go back to indoors again so uh, I hope that helps Brian I definitely hope it helps him but I hope it helps any of you guys that are shooting a hinge and you're finding yourself getting hung up all right, like there. If you if you're getting hung up on your hinge, don't get discouraged. Don't don't go run out and buy the the new HBC Flex like I did. All right, you don't need it. Um, like literally any hinge, all the hinges pretty much work the same. You know, you just moving a moon. I mean, I guess you can get real specific with how you like your finger beds and all that, but. <laughs> I have not really felt a hinge release that did not rest heavily on my index and middle finger. <laughs> like it's all pretty much right there. <laughs> now, you know, better shooters than me will tell you otherwise, but you know, I'm just giving you one avenue of uh, advice there. <laughs> Again, I'll start getting some guests on this show telling you their points of view as well. Um, another question. My homeboy, Oscar, from down south, said that, uh, hey man, I got a brass knock, as I think is like his kisser button, on my string, and it's hurting me. I'm shooting, and it's like fucking up my lip. Um, And at first, I was like, oh man, like maybe shrink tube it, you know, put some shrink tube over it and heat it up. But then I thought, well, you know. It doesn't seem like it always happens to him. This is like a new thing. Maybe it's a new bow setup or something. What could it be? It's probably just too much pressure, face pressure into the string. And the easiest thing I could think of to relieve that face pressure is a longer D-loop. Because sometimes if you lengthen your D-loop just a little bit, your anchor stays the same. And all that changes is like the pressure just slightly comes off your face. It doesn't mean the contact is gone. It's just the pressure is slightly less. And um, I'm trying to think of an analogy to that with uh, draw length. But it kind of escapes me at the moment. But you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You can change little things, draw length or D-loop length-wise, 
and you'll still still shoot the same. You'll just be at a different point in your shot, or like things will move forward or backwards accordingly. Basically, lengthen that D loop. String comes off your face a little bit, right? And we're talking small, small amounts because you're naturally going to want to shoot the same way. You're going to want to keep the same anchor point. Some people, you know, will change their D loop and um, their anchor will change, and that's not what you want. If that happens, I think you've gone too far with the D loop. Um, but Oscar hit me up and said, "Hey, man, it worked." <laughs> So if any of you other guys have that issue, um, I would advise going longer on the D-loop just to take the pressure off your face. And not so long that you lose contact or that you lose anchor points. Like I literally did this after redding, put a longer D-loop on my bow. Because I knew in redding I was just burying my face into the string on like high pressure shots. And maybe, maybe it was giving me... Like unpredict like the unpredictable thing where I couldn't call where the arrow was gonna land. Maybe I that's hard to say. I was kind of a mess as far as how I was shooting that event, but it's definitely one thing to rule out is that, you know, you can put your face on the string, not a big deal. If you can do it the same every time. But if you you know, if you want to kinda of rule that out, you go longer on your D loop. <coughs> um another question. Wendell, I love the podcast. Well, thank you, sir. Um, why don't you cover hunting and bow hunting specifically? Uh, well, you know, uh, on the topic of hunting, I'm not a very good hunter, right? And I don't have much experience. I think other other podcasters are much more experienced, have more to bring to the table. I mean, I can tell you, in college, I was a really aggressive beaver hunter yeah but that's not here nor there (laughs) so (laughs) this is going to stay a target archery podcast it's going to stay you know exactly what it's been i'm trying to tell you guys the shit that i know and what guys better than me know and we'll see what's what's actually real what meets up in the middle and i i won't sell you guys Archery unfiltered products. At least ones that aren't hats. <laughs> um, the last question is from a buddy. Uh, a, a nice guy named... Uh, I'll just call him Castro. Castro said, Hey man, uh, how much can you twist up cables before it gets into like a danger zone? <clears throat> um, now I guess if you... you know, Because I think... Uh, Castro saying, you know, he's a short draw guy like I am. He's trying to get the most speed out of his bow as possible. I personally would not go more than a pound over, like, the limit of the limb. Or, not the limit, but, you know, whatever the limbs say. If they're 60-pound limbs, I would go for 61. I've heard some people comfortably going to 62, you know, and that's not a problem. Um, But I would go to 61. And just know that, you know, Twisting up your cables to get to 61 pounds is going to change your, you know, your cam timing in such a way that it's going to lengthen your draw length. I don't know exactly how long it will lengthen, but just something to be mindful of. I've seen pictures of people shooting like a 60-pound bow twisted up to 65 or 66 pounds. Um, 
And I've also seen a lot of those guys, <laughs> not a lot of them, but some of them have like splintered limbs and stuff. I don't think it's dangerous because, you know, a limb's just going to splinter. I don't think the bow's going to explode. But I wouldn't. I, I would just keep it close to close to the limit. That seems safe. All right. <clears throat> All right. What else do I got here? Ah, did you guys know? A little, a little trivia. The Hoyt Invicta is named after the Latin word for undefeated. Hmm? The Invicta. Invicta means undefeated in Latin. Do you guys know what they named the Hoyt Double XL after? Your mom. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's the way I'm going to end this one positively. All right, guys? See, it's not all gloom and doom this week. One will got a mom joke in on you. <laughs> um, thanks for listening, guys. As always, thanks for the listener questions. Uh, I really appreciate that. A lot of people jump forward to help help me out. Gave me some content to talk about. Even got a, a guest coming on the show. This Mike Pastelli character sounds like uh, he could be a very interesting guy for me to pick some brain on. Ooh, that sounds weird, really weird. Pick some brain. Pick his brain. <clears throat> uh, I'll grill him a little bit about the pro class thing, and we'll see how we go from there. Um, again, thank you all for the, the support. You guys know my, my close friends, Darren and Bet. Uh, run DB Custom Coatings out of Napa. They Cerakote bows. They Cerakote them. Sick. If you guys want to see a cool bow, Austin Watts has an American flag Invicta that looks dope. Looks amazing. Um, easily one of the cleanest Invictas out there. Uh, so yeah, hit them up. DB Custom Coatings on Instagram. Uh, they do good work. And a Cerakote uh, on a bow lasts really long it's it's a tough coating and it's hard to chip off and damage um i got ideas for what the next bow will be but i don't want to bug darren right now <laughs> i'd rather have you do i'd rather have him do your guys's bows than mine, <laughs> mine at the minute and uh the show is brought to you guys by carbon craft stabilizers uh my favorite stabilizer to date i have four of them so in Nevada City, I'll be letting somebody borrow my spare set uh, just because, you know, what better way to spread the gospel than to just let them see the light themselves. And uh, maybe after that, who knows? Maybe I'll build my own bracket and fucking Tim Gillingham out with four stabilizers. That'd be really funny. <laughs> Why stop at four, man? Like you could easily do six, you know? I, especially on some of those PSEs, they have the they have the upper bushing for the stabilizer and the lower bushing. You could go, you could go eight bars if you really wanted to show everyone like how low your ball swing. You could have gone eight bars. Um, you know, I would do it, but I'm a very short guy. I don't want to swing too low. All right, guys, thanks for listening to the show. Um, peace out. Good luck practicing. Uh, Remember, positive vibes to everybody, positive vibes to all the archers, all our homies, okay? All right, guys, peace.